If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. Instead of beating ourselves up for whoever we think we are today or however we think we are today, just know that who you are today is necessary for you to be that dope firehouse that we're going to talk about in five years. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small-town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Are you a troublemaker? Do you embrace fear and move forward in spite of it? Does breaking the rules and carving your own path invigorate you? Or is that the last thing that you want to do? Okay, what about this one? Do you truly know yourself? Do you stand in your full self, taking up the space you earned simply by being born? Sorry to play 20 questions with you right from the start, but I've been weighing all of these questions as I studied the words of Lovey Ajayi Jones. She was once afraid to call herself a writer because she was afraid of the title. She nearly skipped out on doing a TED Talk that totally changed her life because of imposter syndrome. Now, she's a best-selling author and she's claimed the title Professional Troublemaker as she leads people to continue and achieve their audacious dreams in the face of fear. I'm so curious about this troublemaker. Keep on listening. Okay, so let's dive on in. So first and foremost, Lovey, welcome to the show. I am so grateful to have you on the Gold Digger podcast today. I'm excited to be here, Jenna. So talk to me about how you claimed the title, which I love, which is Professional Troublemaker. Because for a lot of us, making trouble, it often sounds scary. So (laughs) walk me through what your path has been that has made you just embrace the term Professional Troublemaker. Yeah. (laughs) You know what's funny? So, (laughs) So the first words of the TED Talk that I did few years ago was, I am a professional troublemaker. And it's because, (laughs) you know, I am, 
<laughs> I call myself the side eye sorceress. I am the truth teller. <laughs> I am the person who is saying what you were thinking, but you dare not to say for whatever reason that is. And I've been this person for a long time. I started blogging on the interwebs in 2003, wow. back when it was just considered plain on the internet, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yes, you know, I was in college. It was my freshman year. My friends peer pressured me into starting blogging. And I said, okay. And I started a blog that was all about my undergrad life and exams I was failing and roommate beef and whatever randomness that you think you have to say when you're 18 and 19. That's really not that important, but you think everybody should hear about it. So that blog was a gift because it made me fall in love with writing outside of the classroom. It was the first time that I actually chose to write, not just because it was a paper that was due. But one of my gifts that I didn't realize back then was my words, using my words to make people think critically and sometimes laugh. So I took for granted the fact that writing always came easily to me. Like I, I would write my school papers like hours before they're due and get A's <laughs> every yes. time. Cause I was, I'm a procrastinator <laughs> if nothing else. Like I, oh. I definitely was a person who was turning in papers that I just wrote an hour before it was due and I would get A's. <laughs> So when I started that blog, I kept it going. So I have my whole college career documented in my first ever blog. Of course, it's deleted now because shenanigans. Because when I graduated (laughs) in 2006, I actually was like, you know, I've outgrown this blog. I'm going to start something new. And I started the blog that I still have now called Awesomely Lovey. And instead of talking about my life, I was like, I'm just going to talk about what I'm thinking about, what I'm seeing, how I'm seeing the world unfold. So yeah, I started talking about television, race, politics, whatever I felt like talking about. And the blog took on a life of its own. People started reading who I didn't know. That's when I knew that it started getting bigger. And I was like, oh, I'm getting comments from people who are not my friends. That's cool. But I got the first ever award for the blog in 2009 for best humor blog in the Black Web Blog Awards. And I remember being shocked because I didn't think my blog was popular. I just thought it was a thing Mm -hmm. that I was doing because back then I was working as a marketing coordinator for a nonprofit. And I was just like, you know, I like to blog. It's my really fun hobby, which at that point I'd been doing for six years. And I kept on being like, okay, if my blog is extraordinary, what makes it so? All I'm doing is talking about my thoughts and telling my truth and doing it in the way that feels most authentic to me And that's when I, I mean, I didn't know back then, I didn't use the phrase professional troublemaker back then, but really (laughs) being the truth teller, being a truth teller, being somebody who insists on being very honest, you're going to ruffle feathers. You're going to make trouble. It's going to come across as trouble sometimes too, because most people aren't doing it. So yeah, 2010, I got laid off my full-time job because I was a trash employee. (laughs) <laughs> I <laughs> was a Jenna I'm not gonna lie to you I was a trash employee I should have actually been fired not laid off <laughs> straight fired because back then I'd be at work writing blog posts yes. when I'm supposed to be doing yes. whatever campaign my job asked me to do and it was really because I got restless you know how you get restless because you know yes. you're supposed to be doing something else but you don't have yes the push or the courage to do that something else yourself, that was me. Like 
I still considered my blog just a hobby. This thing I was doing, I was not calling myself a writer. I did not think it was a career that I was that was possible for me because I thought about writers as like Toni Morrison, you know, as the John Grishams, the Terry McMillans. For me, a writer who's writing her thoughts and opinions on this website that was not the New York Times or, you know, the Chicago Sun-Times, I thought, you know what, this is just cute. So that's all it was. So when I would go to work, I'd feel compelled to write randomly. So I'd just be at my desk being completely unproductive (laughs) (laughs) and writing in this blog that was not paying me, that I just thought was fun. And how I know I was really trash was we were in a staff meeting. Our team was only a team of like seven or nine one day, and I fell asleep. (laughs) In the staff meeting, straight like, and I thought I was being slick. My eyes were so heavy. You know when your eyes just can't stay open? Yes, that is what happened in the middle of a weekly staff meeting. Uh, Fell asleep. Oh my God. The worst. Yo, the worst. They should have actually fired me on the spot. But when I got laid off, because they were like, oh, you know, budget cuts has eliminated your position. I had the nerve to be shocked. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Tell me more. (laughs) Meanwhile, if I was paying attention in staff meetings, maybe I wouldn't be so shocked. But I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Well, you know what? I need to go find more jobs. So I updated my resume and went on LinkedIn and looked for more marketing jobs. But being the hustler that I am, I started consulting for nonprofits and small business owners and bloggers doing what I was doing at my full-time job, which is ultimately helping people use social media to tell their stories. As I was still looking for jobs, though, because no parts of me still thought I am a writer. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I didn't end up getting another job. (laughs) You know what? I did get one more job, though. I did. After like a year of looking for a full-time job, I finally got hired to do social media management for a global brand. Like I had to come in office. I wore my I am really serious business casual outfit. (laughs) (laughs) And I showed up and I sat there and I was good. And I was right, you know, creating PowerPoint decks for the first few hours. And around 1 p.m., the walls started closing in on me. You know, when it feels like a place, no matter how big it is, feels too small. I started feeling like like the walls were just like getting too close. And I was like, oh, this is not going to work. I can't work in an office anymore. And that is actually what finally made me realize, listen, you are supposed to work for yourself. The words that you put on paper are a gift. Use those things to change the world. Use those things to make the money. You can do this because you sit in an office is not for you. And your whole body is screaming because of it. So I finished the day off and I sent an email that automatically sent the next morning that said, thank you. Yesterday was my first and my last day. (laughs) That was it. That was the last time I actually (laughs) attempted to work as a W-2 employee for somebody else. But yeah, the professional troublemaking was already in the gear. And what really got people attached to my words, what got them relating to my words, were the fact that they found courage in what I was saying. They thought that I was the person who was actually putting voice to their feelings, their thoughts 
in ways they might not have felt brave enough to do. And that has found me in really major rooms. It has allowed me to live life on my own terms. And I always tell my story because I let people know that if me, a Black woman from Nigeria, because I was born in Nigeria, is able to create this life that's almost too big for my own dreams to have thought of, then I'm hoping that I am proof that other people can do it for themselves. Lovey, there is this through line in every interview you do and every word you write. And I'm so curious to know, especially knowing, you know, the context of where Professional Troublemaker came from, what was it like when you realized that you were not put on this earth to tell everyone else's stories, whether it was nonprofits or other small businesses, but you were meant to come here and tell your own story, to almost cast yourself as the leading lady of your life. Was that a weird moment? (laughs) You know what's funny is I didn't even realize that. A lot of my story (laughs) was like, an I I learned these accidental lessons along the way that Mm -hmm. in hindsight were clearly not accidents. And in telling my story, I think one thing that we all know more than anything, the one thing that we can all say we are experts at is who we are, is our story. Yeah. Like, you know yeah. best what you've gone through. You know yeah. best how you felt. And if you can tell that over and over again, and hopefully somebody else will see themselves in your story, that's the gift. And for me, for a yeah. long time, I actually didn't know that that was one of my gifts. So I'll even tell you, when I started blogging and just even up to like five years ago, five, six years ago, a lot of people who read my words actually didn't know what I looked like mm, okay. because I use a cartoon avatar. First of all, yeah. I, I have very exaggerated features, so I'm really easy to turn to a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> like I look just like my avatar. So I use the cartoon because I always felt like even though I'm telling my truth, even though it's from my own angle, even though I am unapologetically who I am, yeah. you don't actually have to see my face to connect with my work. So I used a cartoon yeah. and I still do actually on my, all my social platforms, my cartoon, well, yeah. on my Twitter for sure right now, my cartoon is still my avatar. My Facebook is still there. I realized that the stories that we have, the experiences that we go through are especially poignant when they're really personal because in our personal, we'll find the universal. So as I'm doubling down on who I am, people are connecting with me even more. Because whenever we kind of hone in on ourselves in that way, somebody somewhere will relate to it. That honesty is truly what made me relatable and made me the person who people would read her blog posts every day at one point because I was writing every single day. And my story has been something that has helped people because I tell people, listen, I am a fool. Okay, (laughs) you see my life as it is right now. You see the glow up and you're like, so tell us the strategy. And I'm like, listen, I found myself (laughs) here in a series of accidents that were clearly ordained and divinely ordered because I am here in spite of and because of myself. And the reason why I decided to write my second book, Professional Troublemaker, and call it that is because I'm like, I want to be able to share this story and share these lessons and share these mistakes because this is the book that I needed 10 years ago when I was that trash employee who should have quit but was afraid to quit 
right? This is the book that I needed when I was afraid to call myself a writer because I didn't see an example yeah. of that for myself. So I ended up becoming yeah. that example. And this is the book that I needed when I turned down my TED Talk twice because I didn't think I was ready to take the stage. So I wanted to write that book because if I can share my story in that way and somebody can read it and it becomes the thing that pushes them forward to know they can do whatever that tough, whatever that big thing is, then I'm doing something right. Because I know that my purpose is to use my words, to use my story, to make people laugh and find joy, to make them think critically, and then to make them take action that leaves this world better than we found it. And the moment I knew that was my gift, and that's what I'm here on earth to do, I think it freed me. It freed me to do big things because even if they fail, I'll come away with something major that can help somebody else. And that's why I'm really, really, really excited for people to get their hands on my book, which comes out in March. It is true. You know, when you write something or you create something and you know in the moment that it's game changing. Yeah. That's how I felt. That's how I yeah. felt. And every time somebody reads the book and gets an advanced copy and they tell me what impact it's already made, I'm like, all right. Here we go. Right. Jenna, I procrastinated on that book, by the way. <laughs> doubt you for one second. <laughs> I My procrastination came out in full force. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a hundred dollar credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs, 
We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top notch. Article's online only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. I want to know how you feel like knowing this because I think you just touched on something that I'm so intrigued about by you is you got to buckle up for when this book gets out there because it is going to change lives and it is going to just release other people's stories in a way that wasn't possible before these words existed. And I know I've heard you talk about this before. How does it feel to kind of be on the precipice of like this expansion with your book and with this expansion of your career and success and all of those things? It scares me shitless. Yes. <laughs> it is scary because yeah. here's the thing. We often talk about fear of failure, but we don't talk about mm-hmm. fear of success enough. Mm-hmm. Fear yes. of success is real because you know what yes. happens when you succeed or when you move to new levels? It means the old you is not equipped to handle what's about to come, or it yep. means you have to grow out of the shell you've had. And yeah. that part scares me because I'm like, I don't know what's to come, but I know it's big. Um, yeah. There are a few times, and it's it's why I procrastinated on this, by the way. Yeah. So I signed my deal September 2019. I knew that I wanted the book to come out next year, yeah. 2021. I don't know when you're dropping this, but in 2021, I wanted this book to come out. So my deadline to turn the book in was May 2020. And then hmm. you know what happens halfway through me working on the book? The pandemic. Yeah. And the whole world shuts down. And I am writing a book called Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, at a time when we are in the most fearful time of our world, where none of us can say we've experienced a global pandemic. And here I am writing a book on how not to let fear stop you from doing the thing and saying (laughs) the things that's big. So what I do, I sat on my couch and procrastinated. One, because I knew that the book that I'm writing was bigger than me. And two, because the world was uncertain and every day felt just scary. The fact that we couldn't go outside, everything that I knew to be true, everything that anchored me was turned upside down. But really everything that anchored me was me. So in knowing what was in front of me, I kind of shut down because I was like, you know what? <laughs> I need to know and go back to what I know, which is the comfort mm-hmm. of <sighs> I don't want things to change. Yeah. But what usually happens when we are self-sabotaging is it's not that you have to answer to other people, it's that you now have to answer to yourself. 
So I was sitting there with these words sitting on my shoulders and not letting me go mm-hmm. and me feeling guilty about not doing the work I know I was supposed to be doing. And in that moment, I finally had to tell myself, listen, I know what you're doing here. What you're doing is you're trying to stop yourself from doing that thing that feels too big, which is the point Mm -hmm. of this whole book. You have to now be the person that you say you are out loud and in private. So I literally was like, lovey, get your together, man. Get this done. (laughs) Get this done. Okay. Sit on this couch in your robe, looking however you want to look and put these words on paper because they will not let you go until you put them on paper. (laughs) So, you know what? Change is scary. What is to come is scary. But I even, I write about it, this. And in this book, what's funny is this book is a book that I was writing to myself. I was just going to say that. Yes, it was what you needed in that moment. (laughs) Yes, yes. Like I wrote this book to my, it was like I was writing to myself. I was telling myself the things that I needed to hear. Yes. And I was putting it on paper. I'm like, holy, I'm like reading myself for filth. I'm reading yeah. myself for filth. This book is reading myself. It's reading me for filth. So I started realizing that I didn't just write the book for the me from 10 years ago. Yeah. I wrote that book for me from today. I wrote Professional Troublemaker from me from next week. Who's going to procrastinate on something that feels too big? And that's when I was like, I felt convicted to put this on paper. And I finally did. Yeah. I wrote the last third of my book in the last month that I had my deadline. Mm. (laughs) Like the whole book came together. That last third was the most powerful third. And I wrote it in the month before it was due. And I turned it in and I was like, I hope it's not trash. But I knew it wasn't because I was like, in writing it, I felt the release of putting this on paper because Mm. now I knew that I can now refer to it if I have ever had those moments again, which I will, of course. Yeah. I think it's so powerful when we kind of look at how you said to like the divine timing of things, you know, 2020 was a lot. And when you look at the subject you're trying to tackle with your words and being someone who has been writing for years and years and years, but also being someone who has let imposter syndrome sneak in or Mm -hmm. has let that fear come in, it was almost like you were divinely appointed to write in that season where you needed those words the most. Because I feel like a lot of times when people write, it's when they have the answers, right? Like, it's like, I can show up and tell you exactly how to do this, like that system that people want from you. And I think that there is something so beautiful when you're standing on that starting line with the reader saying, I'm right here. I I am not so far removed to know what you're feeling right now. And I'm going to walk you through exactly what I need and what you likely need too. And I think that you've managed to do that in the book in a way that wouldn't have been possible had you been tethered to that comfort of certainty. Yes. You hit it right there there because Going back to why I use myself as an example is that I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I'm not saying, hey, I'm the expert at life. I'm saying, hey, I've fallen on my face. I have let fear stop me from doing what I needed to do. I have done things that were not moved by my purpose, but moved by like my doubt. But yeah. Each time that I committed to still doing things that scared me, my life has been wildly rewarded because of it. And 
you know, a lot of times, especially those of us who people look to it as thought leaders, as like whatever it is they want to, whatever word they want to assign to us today, they think we have it figured out. We have mm-hmm. some of it figured out, but I think what happens is we're also learning out loud. Yeah. I think the power of a lot of people's platforms and voices is that you are watching people learn and grow out loud along with you. And hopefully you are not sitting at home thinking you're somehow lacking or somehow not good enough. But I want you to see people who do extraordinary things, not necessarily because they're extraordinary people. They're people who have just committed to doing certain things over and over again. And after a while, they get really good at it. Sometimes you get really good at failing out loud. Sometimes you get really good at you know, being afraid out loud and people are seeing your growth and they connect to it. So yeah, my hope is that people walk away from reading my book, knowing that, listen, it's not that she's extraordinary. It's that she's made herself do all these big things, especially because she was afraid. I'm like in a constant challenge with myself to do something (laughs) that scares me. I've spent way too many years doing the opposite and not getting what I want. But when I started yeah. doing that thing that's scary or that thing that that made me shake, listen, it's always rewarded me. And even if I fall flat on my face, it's always rewarded me because that failure usually leads me to higher ground. Yes. You know, one of the things that you make me think about is that the people that are showing up as the teachers are also the people that have adopted the title of being lifelong learners. It's like our butts never leave yes. the seat of the student. Like we are constantly learning and, and it's just our natural tendency to share those learnings because we're like, wait, you might miss this or you might mess up or you might yes. not understand this. I didn't know it either. And so it's always so interesting to me when we look at people that we put on a pedestal or the leaders or the thought leaders or, you know, the game changers, that these are usually the people who are committed to being in this state of learning. And I think it's something that adults don't do enough these days. Yes. I call myself a forever student. I am always reading. I am always trying to find out more. Because to stop learning is to stop growing and to stop growing is to really start dying. I think we need to really commit to never stopping to learn. And you cannot ever get to a point in your life where you're like, I know everything I need to know now. You're not. That is an unproductive idea to think you have nothing more to learn. I always have more to learn. I'm excited to find out who I'm going to be in 10 years and look back and be like, man. Oh my God, I have learned so much because I know (laughs) me from 10 years ago, 25 year old me was a raving dumbass. Like, (laughs) that. (laughs) Like, but here's the thing though I needed the me from 10 years ago to become the me from today. I needed that girl from 10 years ago and all her stupidity and all her mistakes and being a trash employee because that girl could, who I am today, could not exist without her. So instead of beating ourselves up for whoever we think we are today or however we think we are today, just know that who you are today is necessary for you to be that dope firehouse that we're going to talk about in five years. Yes, yes. 
On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There is this line that you said that I I literally laughed, but then it made me kind of pause and think a little bit deeper. But you said, we've been convinced that the more we downplay our awesomeness, the better the world is, as if knowing that we're the shit is somehow a threat to climate change. <laughs> Talk to me about that because it resonated. I think women are taught to play small and to not take up space and to be quiet and to be good girls and all of those things that society and the systems that we've constructed have made us to believe is what our role is. Walk me through that a little bit because I love that line so much. Yes. So part of our problem in this world is that we've been told that, yeah, being a professional troublemaker is not okay. But sometimes it even looks like you saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I'm really good at. And I'm going to make sure I use it in a way that takes up space in whatever room I'm in, right? Like I know my gifts are using my words in whether I'm speaking or writing, I can use my words to move people. And I can say that not with arrogance, but just it's a fact, right? Women have especially been told, you're not supposed to say you're good at something. You're supposed to actually be doubtful and downplay how good you are because then that means you're humble and we need you to be humble. No, no, no. There's a difference in being humble and denying your gifts. I don't want us to deny what we're good at. I want us to be able to walk in a room and say, I'm an amazing cook. And saying it, not because you're like, I'm better than you, but just say, I'm really good at this one thing. We do not do anybody a favor by denying our dopeness. We do not Mm -hmm. do anybody a favor by denying whatever it is that we have spent money on to get good at, so our degrees, whatever we've gotten as awards, whatever we've, people have told us we're good at, whatever we know that when we do it, mountains move, nobody wins when we downplay it. So I want us to get used to being women who own how amazing we are without guilt, right? Like, you know, <laughs> the room does not get better just because you're like, I think I'm good at this thing. No, let us know what you're good at (laughs) so we know where your gifts can bring value to the world. Let us know what brings you joy because you know you were born to do it. It is something that we have to unlearn, this idea that we have to somehow be self-deprecating constantly. I'll tell you what I'm terrible at, not because I'm being self-deprecating, because I know I'm actually not good at it. And me saying it is not a bad thing. But on the other hand, I can tell you 10 things I'm great at. We've been trained and programmed to tell everybody what we're not good at. But when it's time for us to say what we're amazing at, we get shy. And that's what I want us to unlearn. 
I have to smile because I was listening to an episode that you did on one of my guy friends podcasts and I end up at tables with a lot of amazing, successful businessmen. And I remember having this conversation with them as one of the only women in the room. And they said, you know, what's your greatest fear? And and it was being too successful. Mm. And they could not even comprehend that because men and ego and all of that identity plays in and they, they just couldn't understand. And I think that it's just such a different landscape for women because the moment that you become successful, you know, there's stipulations that we want to place on why that happened or, or how it happened or what shortcuts you took or what lucky breaks you had. And I just had to smile listening to your interview because the guy was like, wait, I don't get it. You're afraid of being successful. You're afraid of growing too big or, or different. And I think that is just something that women relate to and understand on a whole different level. Yeah, and, I, and that's a great point. Men often don't understand this fear of success thing. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> They're like, help me understand. You, you're afraid of doing well? Like, <laughs> and yes. I think it's because women are in a constant state of introspection. Yeah. We're in a constant yeah. state of shifting ourselves. So we know with mm-hmm. everything that happens, the shifts usually happen with us. So a yeah. successful woman who is a mother and a wife now has to figure out, you know, because of mom guilt that we've been thrust upon, you know, oh my gosh, will I be less of a mom if I now take my career more seriously? Men, meanwhile, Mm -hmm. have none of that because being a dad, they're considered babysitters, not parents, right? Yes. There's (laughs) real tangible things attached to the fear of success for women. And I just think part of it is an unlearning from us too and a refusal to take on some of this stuff. A refusal yes. to think that you are less of a mother or a wife because you're prioritizing your career currently, right? A refusal yep. to take on the idea that as a woman, your job is to somehow shrink while everybody, all the, the men around you get to expand, that you're somehow selfish because you have goals and yeah. and have needs that are outside of domesticity. So I think it's just all part of this larger package that we have to start working on. And I'm hoping that people see me and like my friends like Bozema St. John, who will walk into a room six feet tall, big hair, and not apologize for it. You are not placed here to have guilt for being who you are. Like life is too short to feel guilty for being amazing. At the core of anything, just use that logic. Imagine whatever you believe in, the creator you believe in, the world you believe in, that you were born into this earth and now you feel guilty for just being you, that doesn't feel right. So it's a practice, but even if you have to write it down on a piece of paper, I was not born to feel guilty for who I am. And recite that to yourself every single day and then make it affirmative. I have all the right to take up all the space and be the full version of who I am. Mm. It's so beautiful. Practice that. I want to talk about your grandmother, Lovey, because I have to come to believe that some of this just confidence, this clear sense of self that you obviously have comes maybe from her. And I know that you write about her, but for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting her through the pages of your book yet, tell us a little bit about your grandmother. Yeah, my grandmother. She is the person 
who I dedicated this book to, who I look at as my prototype of a professional troublemaker. And that's because my grandmother was a woman who, this older Nigerian woman who you couldn't tell shit. And not because (laughs) she was just like, I am unlearning, I'm, I'm never growing. No, it was because my grandmother had been through a lot. And she, mm-hmm. by the time I met her, she was somebody who took up all the space in the room without apology, who allowed herself to be mm-hmm. celebrated without apology, who never, who I didn't see ever apologize for being herself. In fact, when she would introduce herself to you, she would smile with her whole face because like, mm-hmm. it was almost like she understood that the pleasure was yours <laughs> to be Aww. in her presence. She wasn't arrogant at all. Like everybody yeah. loved her. And I didn't realize how much I was learning from her, just yeah. watching her being. And growing up, I got to see her be this full woman who didn't cower for anybody, who you couldn't tell like, oh my God, shrink and tell somebody that you're somebody else. No, no, no. She took full pride about who she was. And I put her at the center of this book because I want people to understand that if an older Nigerian woman who was orphaned at 17 could really show up in this world and be celebrated and be loved and be deeply, deeply cherished and adored by everybody who knew her simply because she was being who she was, then I hope it gives other people permission to do the same. I think her life for me is a testimony and a testament to living fully as a woman who had all reasons not to and who really was able to impact somebody who was now able to impact millions of people. I think we often think about like, oh, what do I have to do? Sometimes you actually don't have to do anything extra. You just have to be. A lot of us have kids and people around us who are just watching us, who are just literally watching us and who are learning more about the world from how we're moving through it than what we're saying. So Mm -hmm. if you're sitting there being like, oh, I should be doing more. No, not necessarily. I think you can just be you more. Somebody's going to watch that and pick it up and say, got it. That just gave me permission. So that's what my grandmother was for me. My, My grandmother was permission and is permission for me to just take up all the room, all the space, and be who I was brought here to be without guilt. That's so beautiful. And I can so relate having a two-year-old daughter. It's like insane. My husband and I said, you never realize how weird you are until you have somebody that impersonates your weirdness. (laughs) I'm like, she is just this little reflection of our funny quirks and the things that we love. And it's, such a good challenge every day to show up in a way of like these little eyes are watching. And I think too, you bring up such a valid point of people believe that, you know, they have to have the platform in order to make a difference. And the difference makers were speaking on the things that make the difference long before they had the platform. The platform came because they were already showing up that way as a change maker. And so I think that we've just got it twisted these days of waiting for the platform and then you'll use it. But the platform's built before the people are there when you're standing in your truth. And I think that that's something that people need to remember more today. Yes. Yes, indeed. 
So, Lovey, I want to know, what are you feeling for 2021? How, you know, this book is coming out March 2nd. You know, you have just been showing up in some really big ways. How are you feeling about this new year? Oh, my God. I'm feeling really hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) I am feeling hopeful, and I am also doing stretches. Mm. You know how you got to stretch before you, you sprint? Yeah. That's what I feel like I'm doing right now is doing the stretching before the sprint. I love it. I love it. Where can everybody find your book and connect with you and learn more about you and read your words? I want everyone to have more lovey in their life. Oh my gosh. So you can go pick up professional, well, you can't go pick it up right now, but you can pre-order Professional Troublemaker, the Fear Fighter Manual, everywhere books are sold. I always encourage people to order from an independent bookstore or a small bookstore. But if you want to make sure that you are getting it just like everybody else on Amazon, feel free to do that too. So Professional Troublemaker, March 2nd, 2021, it will be in your hands. And I'm so excited for that. And then where you can find me, I am at Lovey, L-U-V-V-I-E on every social platform. I'm always on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, like... I hang on the interwebs. I'm super easy to find. (laughs) And I have my own social platform actually called Love Nation. And I created it as a safe space in a dumpster fire world. So it's an app that you can download for your phone. You can go on lovenation.com, L-U-V-V-N-A-T-I-O-N.com. And it's basically 14,000 of the best people, the funniest, Mm. most thoughtful people on these interwebs, all talking to each other and gassing each other up. And we do giveaways in there. I make sure I drop things in there that don't end up on any other social platform, but I'm easy to find. But I really just, I'm excited for people to get this book. If you love this interview, I hope you pre-order Professional Troublemaker because I want to make sure that we are all understanding on a really deep level, not just like the TED Talk cute way, that you were put on this earth to do things that scare you for the greater good of you and everybody else. I'm so excited for your book. Everyone, make sure you go out and pre-order. Pre-orders are a huge deal for authors. Yes. And it really helps signify that we want this book in all of the places. So take just a few minutes out of your day, pre-order wherever you can do that and support Lovey because this book is about to be a really big deal. We know it. We feel it. Lovey's stretching for it. And so let's make sure we support that mission. No, and and Jenna. Thank you for the space that you take up in the world. You know, you have committed to doing this work in such a grand way. So I just hope you know that your voice is constantly necessary and who you are and that little girl who's watching you, you're basically creating a game changer by just being you. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, lovey. This was amazing. Oh my goodness. Didn't that conversation just feel like good for your soul? I hope that it felt that way. You know, before Lovey and I hit record, I just said, how is your soul today? I think it's a question we should ask ourselves and our loved ones more often. And when she replied, my soul feels good. I knew this episode was going to be a game changer. And oh my goodness, I was right. 
Lovey has this way of just showing up unapologetically that is so infectious. It just makes you want to do the same, makes you want to play bigger and refuse to show up small and stop apologizing for who you are. I sincerely hope that you go out and support the launch of Lovey's new book so that we can continue to spread her message with the world. This is a message that we all need desperately. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. And as always, keep on digging your biggest goals and keep refusing to show up small. I'll talk to you next time. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.